Coming up in this episode of the Super Pestis Roundup podcast, we look at new ideas for tournaments now the Super Cup has been cancelled. We take a dive into fantasy sports and pitching stats and wrap up with a new segment called Coach's Corner, where Miko talks about batting tactics. That's all coming up on this episode of Super Pessis Roundup Podcast. Welcome to the April 2021 episode of the Super Pessis Roundup podcast. And this is a very special uh, episode because it's our one year anniversary episode. So we've been doing this for one year. I'm your host, Ian Albert, and joining me as ever is my friend from across the pond. It's Ron Bronson. Hello. Wow. One year. Who knew? That was quick. Good to be here. And our resident coach, it's uh, Mikko Pirhonen. Uh, Mikko, how are you doing? Uh, I'm good. Uh, I mean, the the people who are listening to this can probably not see that, but I've like I've actually put in effort to this uh, episode because not just it's not just uh, the one year episode, but we're also talking about baseball. So I get my I got my bases covered. I I got in like. Uh, uh, a White Sox thing uh, hanging behind me that my uncle uh, brought to me from the States back in the 90s. And uh, and I also like, I'm, I'm nowadays I'm a huge Cardinals fan, just like Ian, and so it's, it's because of Ian. But I'm also rocking a Clayton Kershaw jersey. From the Dodgers, so I got my bases covered. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win in each case. Well, I did wonder whether my um, Cardinals pennant that I have behind me um, has been subliminally kind of um, pushing you towards the Cardinals, Miko. But um, I've, uh, I've had it there for a long time now. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, we're going to talk about uh, some of the big topics in the news, and obviously one of the main. Uh, ones was um, the delay to the season. We've now got a delayed start to the 28th of May. Um, and the Super Cup that was uh, scheduled, the, the tournament, um, has been cancelled. Um, more delays, more delays, but it's all in the hope that we can actually get a, a proper season underway. Um, Mika, were you disappointed to see that? Obviously disappointed, but I I don't know a single person who would have anticipated any other kind of a decision, because right now what we're dealing with in in Finland is that well like uh, we're we're able to gather in groups of under ten people and uh, like the the all the restaurants have been closed and there hasn't been a total lockdown but the restrictions have been at their most at, at their hardest uh, uh, like lately during the whole pandemic 
So it's like uh, it was a foregone conclusion that 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 would happen. But uh, I think that right now we're about the stage that uh, like 20% of people in Finland have been have got their vaccine for the first time and uh, and the like the like the previous summer taught us that if things go well it can ease up a bit so we're actually able to bring the season through and uh, obviously within the federation they will still have a plan b and plan c but uh if they are able to actually kick off things or, or get get things off at like in late may it would mean that we should be able to uh proceed in a normal manner which would be a huge win uh for the for the game because uh, uh no other sport has actually been able to do that during the pandemic but superpass has pulled it off last year so uh, who knows but let's hope for the best yeah and it, it pes polo isn't the type of sport that you can play behind closed doors and still make money well, you know even if you did have uh, fans on uh, in the stadium you wouldn't necessarily make money overall but it, it's not something that can really sustain itself without the fans the fans are a very important part of the game Yeah, I mean, I, I I think I need to add to to that that you're absolutely spot on there because even though the the money that comes from the tickets being sold is not necessarily like it's not a huge percentage of the income that the teams actually are able to make, but it's like. Uh, Well, there are many things attached to that. For example, the sponsorship deals and stuff like that. But uh, but the reality is that the like the so-called break-even in from a financial point of view for Superpass teams is that everything has to go 100% right so that they reach break-even. That's the that's the hard truth, hard reality for super most super teams. So uh, playing behind closed doors was was also a thing that I, I think that realistically we're talking about one or two clubs out of twenty uh, eight uh, men's and women's super teams who can actually even play with the thought like that. Uh, all the others were like that. No, that's not going to happen. We're not going to play at all if that's the scenario. And uh, Ron, uh, at the moment, we know the baseball season's uh, started in America. We're going to come on to that uh, later. Um, county cricket is back here um, in the UK. Um, but again, all behind um, closed doors. We talked a little bit last year about how the the season was going to be a bit of a wild ride, lots of unknowns. It was going to be really different. What we do know at the moment for the 2021 season is that uh, relegation is back because for the uh, 100-year anniversary 
uh, next year, they want to make sure they have the right number of teams uh, in the top division uh, in Super Persis. So um, we know there will be relegation. It's an additional factor to um, put into the mix. Um, obviously, in the States, in, in most sports, you don't have relegation. How do you think that kind of thing will start to play in as the season beds in? Well, I mean, I think as we saw last season, teams, once they were kind of out of it, started playing younger guys. It took a few risks with things that they would, maybe you wouldn't see normally because you didn't have the pressure. I think that was good for those teams and good for those players. I think this season, obviously, because we won't, we won't you know, be as more teams won, um, you know, I think that you'll expect to see that, that, that down the wire, teams are probably going to either play a little harder because you don't, you don't want to go down. Um, and also, I still think it's going to be another wild season, right? Like, even though we didn't know when the season was going to start, free agency and, you know, such as it is in Pace Apollo was, was, it was quite, teams, a lot of players moved teams. Um, there's a lot of, you know, managers changed. So I think that while last year was weird because it was shortened season and we didn't know what was going to happen, I think this season is going to be all of that plus the pressure, added pressure of relegation. So, um, so I think it's going to, I think the stakes are going to be much higher for sure. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the the Super Cup um, that didn't happen, it was cancelled. And I I did a post um, about the type of tournaments that could replace the Harley SM or or, or could be in place uh, in the future. Um, One of the reasons I did that was because um, when the Pespalolito announced that the Super Cup was being cancelled, they talked about ideas for celebrating the um, 100-year anniversary next year. I I love the idea of there being a tournament that all teams can be involved in, a bit like, say, the FA Cup in in, uh, football, soccer, um, or the Challenge Cup in Rugby League, which I think, uh, in terms of how strong the teams are up and down, um, is probably closer to Pespolo. What do you think, Mikko, of the idea of there being a, a a tournament that every team can have a a hand in, a, a say in? Well, I think that your idea of some kind of a combined idea that would like would not be necessarily like the the FA Cup itself, but would maybe it would build up from a bit of a regional. Uh, tournament mm. and then grow up like from that on that point on it, it would like uh it would be bring some how should i say maybe some sports romance to the whole scenario which is always appreciated but it's like uh, the one thing that i fear about it is that uh, realistically in this sport the way that this sport has been like build up these days and the amount of players that we have that is not that significant to be honest who are able to play at the top level the like the differences between the level of the teams is just it's just staggering because i mean whereas in in FA Cup you can you can so so called you can park the bus 
you can defend with 10 men behind the ball and uh, hope for that one counter attack but if you if you would take even like the b team of this is something that we spoke earlier to that even if you would take the b team of the of of a good super passes team they are nowadays a good team on the ukespesis level so it's like the uh, they would have to play their C team against some some team from the, like the next higher. But I think that uh, my idea personally would be to uh, play like a cup competition before the start of the season. Yeah, now now that they have played, it's been an indoor tournament, which has actually been. There has been some like uh, interest, media interest, and stuff like that. But it's still like this. This game is hard to play indoors. Uh, also, if the world opens up uh, a bit, there's the idea of playing the like the top four of the tournament abroad has been something because they they have played some. Uh, one-off games in like in Spain especially, but also in 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 Sweden and Estonia and that kind of thing. But so I think that they will they will aim for something like that. But but I also want to see like uh, when the year 2022 arrives. Uh, what I definitely want to see are those regional tournaments and especially those that have some historical background. Because be, believe it or not, there there are some some of those in this uh, in this game already. That I I actually have a question for you guys. Just a, a, a short quiz. That when I went to be the game manager. Uh, in Helsinki for uh, Punamustat. First we played on the Suomisarja and then we got promoted to Ykköspäsit, but that's irrelevant. When I went there, they told me that there's this competition each spring that is played like two weeks before the actual season gets underway. Uh, try to take a guess that from which year on that competition had taken place if we exclude the Second World War years. So the year that that competition started. Just take a wild guess. The third division, right? This it's pretty old, like the like the twenties, right? Let's say nineteen twenty nineteen twenty two. I think that's a good shout. I'd I'd probably go a little late. I'd probably say like thirty five, nineteen thirty five. Actually, run is closer. It had been, it had started in 26, 1926. And it had been played in Helsinki region. So even if we're, we're, we're talking about that there's no Pesapallo in Helsinki, but they have this, they, they have this like 95 year old tournament that has been played annually over there this kind of a cup competition but they are now the dirt tire team so it doesn't get any media knowledge or stuff like that but that's a good example of a regional like level tournament that 
uh, you're able to bring out the traditions of the game because a uh, hundred years it's a uh, I, I mean that's that's something that not a lot of teams uh, not a lot of sports sorry in in, in Finland have at all it's, it's fascinating um, talking about the little regional uh, tournaments because one of the ideas that I I talked about in in the post um, was if the if you could have regional tournaments it would help um, boost some of those local rivalries some of the historic ties but you could then have a, a tournament amongst the um, the regional winners so each regional champion could um, play off against one another to be a champion of champions as it were that that seemed like an interesting one um ron they obviously don't have uh, these type of tournaments in in uh, american sports but w- what was your thought on the idea of a uh, a, a new type of tournament in uh, paspalo you're right we don't have those kinds of events here uh, i mean other than you know our football you know there's a us open cup which is our you know allegory our fa cup which is it's not as good but they try their best and um, she's not as many teams, you know. Um, also, the quality, you know, from here, from one level down, is so dramatic because there's no prom- there's no promotion relegation. Uh, obviously, I'm all for for having you know more opportunities to to watch the game and also more opportunities to see some of those lower teams because as an international fan, you know, a lot of those games aren't streamed. You know, there are Uko Pesos games that are streamed from time to time, but for the most part, those games aren't streamed. You don't get to see them, so you don't know if you, you know. Took me years to know truly the relative until I saw it live. You know, I saw a couple of games. The relative difference between you know a super paces team and an equal paces team, or you know even those lower level teams. And then one day, this is last 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 summer, I was so starved for paces that I watched a for some reason it was a junior like a kids game like a championship streaming on one of the networks. And so I watched like maybe more than I want to admit hours of boys and girls. Uh, uh, watching of uh, playing junior uh, paces, it was really fun for me because I was like, "Oh, this is little league baseball." The you know parallel for me as an American, but also like now I understand the what it looks like for these kids to play this. I follow them on Instagram, but I've never seen it. Anyway, to answer your actual question, um, I think anyways is good. I think I think the one thing to probably keep in mind, especially for our, again international listeners who don't really have a good sense of like, and Miko can speak to this more than either of us about. You know, most of these folks have jobs during the week. <laughs> like, like this is this isn't you know like Super Paces is cool. It's on TV, but ain't nobody's nobody's a millionaire playing this stuff. And so I think there is there is like for coaches for players, what's the value beyond just like basically you would need a giant sponsor to say here's some money. We want to see this like a local regional sponsor to say we want to see this. We want the game to grow. So yeah, we should pay some money to put together a. It's an event for all the folks in, you know, Ostrobothnia or whatever, you know, to, to, to see who the, who the true, you know, king or queen of, of this, of this area is. And that's, I think, A, how it would happen, really. But, um, and I think that could be really cool because it would give those younger players, like, of course, you know, younger players love to go at bigger teams. They want to go for it. Oh, you didn't want me to play for your local team? Oh, watch, watch me do this. So that could be kind of cool, the narratives. But I think because of COVID and some of the other things that are going on, I think just getting a full season, getting some kind of season together and having, you know, games that actually matter probably matter more than trying to 
half measures that that maybe don't really you know speak to the real thing. But that's just my just creating a little controversy on the pod. That's all that is. <laughs> well, as uh, Miko hinted at the top of the uh, the podcast, there's a there's a big baseball theme um, for this month, and obviously it's partly due to the news of um, Costa Rica trying to make it big uh, in the states, trying to make a little career for himself in baseball that you know the very different sport that that is he's got a an incredible uh arm on him and uh i i think it'll be an interesting thing to watch we'll probably talk a little bit more about it in um future podcasts but yeah mika were you were you interested in that story i'm absolutely fascinated by the idea because uh Somebody with uh, a raw talent like that to be, like to be able to nurture him I- into a into a baseball player is to, is just a fascinating thought. And I think that I'm not like to be honest, I'm not an uh, I'm not an expert on what what level are the talents that arrive from Cuba or say Japan or something like that when they're his age and he's like, he's 20 now. But so it's like uh, 20, 20 doesn't sound like a lot, but then again, it it is like uh, if you start at 20, that's, uh, there, there's, there's an upside and there's a downside. The upside is that what they pointed out also in the article that they made about him was that the the Yankee scout that has seen him a couple of times is that uh, to be honest his shoulder hasn't been like broken or spoiled yet like so it doesn't like uh, he hasn't thrown a curveball in his life and and the, what I understand, and this is something that I ask from some people that I know that who who know something about baseball here, like in Finland, or play the sport, or coach the sport, or follow that closely. Uh, what I see, from my point of view, uh, realistically, is that uh, he can throw a fastball, and he can probably. If he goes to states and uh, goes through the NCAA program and uh, and is is able to master another like some kind of an other not not necessarily a curveball but a slider or something like you, you guys know better about those but if he can master two and he has like if his fastball is ninety plus let's say i don't know what's fast enough these days when but if he can master those two uh, from my understanding like uh, that's uh, that's the kind of uh, capacity that most teams are actually content with if if somebody has the two good pitches so he doesn't have to master the whole like catalog of all kinds of pitches you have in baseball but but who knows but it's like uh let's just say that he made a splash with uh with his announcement that he will try this thing 
and I I mean I I am absolutely over the moon with this uh, whole idea that he's trying to create that path. It's like, uh, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's interesting because um, you mentioned Japan and, and Cuba. Um, I know that there are really strange, restrictive rules around um, pitchers and well, any players com- coming from Japan. And they have to get the consent of the league and all sorts of things. And you can only have so many players in a year and all these things. Um, and it's to try and preserve Japanese baseball uh, at the same time as also being able to give opportunity to players uh, going overseas. Because at the end of the day, there's a lot of players who come from the States, um, sometimes maybe towards the end of their career, uh, and they, they find a second wind uh, in, in Japan. Um, but there'd be no restrictions like this um, with uh, uh, Costa Rica. And it's it's interesting to to see and explore the opportunities because as pitchers, and Ron, you'll, you'll know this, that there are sometimes situations where you just need one out and a pit, you might have one pitcher that you'll just come in to get that one out and that that's all you need, that's all they're there to do. And uh, he he could be that kind of person or he um he could do so much more i think the interesting thing about um Kurika is he's got a lot of speed behind him and he's he's uh, got some skills at bat as well and um, so it may be a bit of a waste to just have him as a uh, a relief uh, pitcher um ron what did you think when you saw this um do you think uh, you you'd have somebody to um take under your wing over there in the states Finally, we have a topic on the show that I feel like I have some real authority on. You know, like I'm not going <laughs> to outpace this, uh, Miko, and I'm certainly not going to outcricket you, right? Well, you got the blog. But this is a topic where finally Ron gets to shine. So I actually, we actually, um, I was actually very excited about this. And before I get into what I was excited about with him, I actually want to say that one of the other things that I really want to see actually is the reverse. I want to see an American player come to Finland and play paces. I want to get some good, like, Division Three kid who's got a summer to kill, come over, and we can figure this out. Because I think that's that's the pipeline that I think would be super fascinating. Because they don't know it exists. Finnish kids know about Major League Baseball because American culture is everywhere. Nobody here has any idea this is happening. Um, and I think some of them would take to it. Um, I would I'd be curious, as, from a coaching perspective down the road, like, which is harder to teach who, right? Um, because the skills are different. That being said, um, yeah, I'm super fascinated by this. And, and I actually did send, um, actually, actually did send, I talked to some friends. I've got some contacts um, in, in some spaces, in the college, specifically the college scene in the U.S. for our Finnish followers. You know, in America, there's this whole, you know, most of you probably have some sense of this from, you know, football or basketball. But there's a whole scheme of amateur teams, effectively, that play at universities in the United States. And there are different levels. There is the NCAA. There are different associations. The NAIA, which is a separate association. Um, these, these associations do not pay players, but they will give you a, a scholarship, an academic scholarship, to go to school to get your education, and then you will play sports for that for that university. Um, and so I think it's a good pathway for him. I think the thing is going to be issue is that he's already 20. That is not – that is – it's late for a first-time baseball player in America, unless you played another sport, which in his case he did, right? So I mean he did. Like so, 
if you were a football player coming to play, American football player coming to play ba- football, baseball at 20, he has like raw athleticism. People would have, that would be a good thing. Um, he'd be trained, they train him into being a baseball player. Um, the novelty of him being Finnish is going to really be the appeal for someone to take a chance on him. Um, there are obviously smaller independent professional leagues that he could also be, be play in, but the quality of play in those leagues is pretty bad unless you're playing at a higher level one. And for a beginner who needs a lot of you know, care and feeding, a lot of training, a lot of someone to show him the ropes and to help him get acclimated to playing this form of baseball, um, it'd be best to be in college because you'd have the time to just like actually spend a whole year not playing on the team. You could just practice with the team, work out with the team, and get good at you know build your strength and get get understand the ropes, and then come out the following year and you have your your four, up to four years of eligibility. And he wouldn't need to spend four years in school. You could spend, uh, I think, two or three or something. And he's old enough that he could then, you know, pursue other pathways. Um, the other thing that's interesting is that, you know, because all these random independent international leagues, like in Germany and in Italy and places like that, there's also a world where with his raw talent that there's a possibility that he could go to a place like that, especially if he didn't really want to deal with school. Um, and, you know, and learn his trade that way. Because what Miko said is actually right, that, Really, the key is like, how do I learn? If, it, if you're him, it's how do I learn to be a pitcher, right? I just have to learn American defense and all that. But I think that stuff's learnable because, again, paces moves really quickly. You're running way more than you run in baseball. Like, I think a lot of the skills, it's like, it's more like learning a language that, you know, that you're close to. Like, if you know, you're like, you know, like all the Estonians I know who learn Finnish are like, yeah, it's different. But also, like, at least I've got to, I'm starting from places easier than, say, you, Ron. And I'm like, that's a good point. I think baseball and paces is like that, even more than cricket, which you can speak to, obviously. Because I think that at the end of the day, like the bases are the same, they're a different order, but the concepts are, are relatively similar. So you can, once with a little bit of training, you're like, okay, I kind of get what's happening here. And for a player, certainly, I think you can accelerate that. So I think it's awesome. I, I applaud him for even thinking, considering it. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see this. Massive pathway of Finns leaving uh, Paces to come play American baseball. I don't see that happening, so I don't think it's going to like ruin the game in any way. I think it's just a cool opportunity to, if anything else, like be ambassadors and showcase the cool things that are happening in the Finnish game to a wider audience, right? Whether I, like I have getting to the majors is hard if you've played baseball your whole life. When you ask about like Dominican kids or Cuban kids or people who play in the Caribbean or even in Japan. They've been playing this from like six years old, like for the mid. Like they've been playing, you know, like it's, it's, it's like you know, like as long as he's been playing paces, they've been playing a regular baseball. So that's the disadvantage that he's at. But I don't think he needs to be a major leaguer to be successful. I don't think he needs to get signed to be successful. It'd be cool if he did, but I don't think that that's necessary. I think by just stating the fact, there's going to be some twelve-year-old or some thirteen-year-old who hears about this, and maybe he's playing paces too. But at 16 or 17, he decides to do a similar thing. Maybe he's doing both at the same time because he lives in Helsinki. Who knows, right? Anyway, I think that this is really cool. And um, I'm really fascinated to see his journey. And, and obviously, we'll learn more about it. And he knows he's got some some help from, abro- from abroad. <laughs> well, it's interesting, Miko, that you've got um, the White Sox pennant behind you because there's only ever been one Finnish-born player uh, to play in the major leagues and that was uh, somebody called John Michelson and that was in 1921 so 100 years ago this year 
and he played two games in the majors for the White Sox as a pitcher. <laughs> so it's an it's an interesting little thing um, to add to all of that. Yeah, uh, just just one quick thing to add to the conversation that we're and we're gonna dig deeper into this because. Uh, uh, when we get the schedules to fit, we will at least get the uh, our national team manager, who's who's also the manager like the, of Consta in in baseball, who who runs the baseball federation in 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 Finland, who was also uh, like introduced in the article that they made in the to the biggest newspaper in Finland. The the thing that strikes me most about uh, Kureka is that when when you take a look at the ability that he has when you take a look at the strengths that he has is that he's he's a remarkable athlete in in some some like specific skills so like I, I think an easy easy way to put it is that Sotkamon Jumu, who who we know that they've been a powerhouse like of, of the sport for uh, two three decades, they they wanted him and specifically him. They went into a contract feud over his contract to get him for for the season twenty uh, twenty, and when they got him. As a 19-year-old kid, they played him on the outfield on the positions where you need the best throwing arm of the team, and like where where you need to make uh, bad, like when you need to make hard throws from bad body positions and stuff like that. So he's uh, he's got that kind of an uh, athleticism in him, and I don't know how comparable that is and how 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 much he can transfer that into like use that in 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 baseball but the one thing that i know about this kid is that he's a he's like he he's uh he's been raised on the countryside and he has thrown every object known to man like w- when he was growing up like stones and snowballs and you know what yeah baseball and finished baseball and uh, like anything so he has like he has put in the, the like the the work the as a kid without even realizing that and he has done some like some physical work that they still need needed to do at the countryside so he's like he's he's a raw talent in in every sense and it's like uh some people are i mean this is just the picture that I get from him, uh, of him. Sorry, uh, through some people uh, that that know him, also like personally, is that he's like he has this good sense of naive uh, mindset to him. So he feels like that. Okay, I'm 20 now. I got to play in my uh, dream organization in in Pesapallo, and I won the Finnish championship in my first season. I can move on. What is there to do? I mean, uh, okay, you haven't played a single All-Star game in your career, 
for starters. But he's like, I, I, I actually, <laughs> I actually love the mindset that he's like, okay, I've I've done Finland now, so so next up USA. So <laughs> it's, just, it's super cool. It's super super cool. Like I I I want him to succeed. It's so cool. Well, I think um, we'll take a, a short break there, and when we come back, we'll talk uh, fantasy sports and some of my ideas uh, for pitching statistics. Okay, uh, welcome back. Um, we're going to talk some fantasy sports because um, listeners won't know, but uh, Ron, Miko, and I have uh, started a fantasy baseball league um, at the moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the season's going well for some people. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, we're doing great. It's early. It's early great. does. <laughs> We're the top three. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. That's what's wild about it. So this is it's the three of us, uh, my brother, uh, uh, one of my really good friends, and a co-worker of mine who's really sh- shooting up the ranks. But we're the top three. Now, I'm embarrassed. It's embarrassing that I'm going to lose a finish. I'm going to lose a fantasy baseball league to two Europeans. Like, that's embarrassing. I'm going to admit. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, we're the top three. You're in a lead, which is why you want to talk about this. But yeah, yes, anyway, that's why. That's on. why I, carry I, on, I, carry I write on. fair play. <laughs> I write the the podcast <laughs> outlines. I've put it in there in bold. We're talking about it, um, but no. In, in all seriousness, and I mean the the last time I, I don't know that much about baseball, but the one thing that I do know is that not a single trophy has been raised in April. So it's like. <laughs> This is true. This is true. <laughs> um, but we um, we've had quite a lot of fun uh, starting that at the moment, and obviously there's there's a long season ahead of us uh, as well. But um, it, it's interesting that, that the kind of ideas of of fantasy uh, sports. Um, I've played a number of fantasy sports over my years, various different types. Just even in baseball, there's various different ones, and it, it sort of got me thinking about the idea of updating fantasy Pespalo, um when the new statistics website comes out because obviously another thing we're saying goodbye to um this year will be the uh, the old way that we've been uh, counting statistics and and the old websites for that um ron have you got any ideas for for fantasy Pespalo going forward yeah, I played it as an old one. It was an old one on that old site, and I definitely played in it. I was not good at it. Uh, <laughs> I was not good at it, but I did play in it. I wasn't last place, but you know, it was not great. Um, so yeah, I think it's a great idea. Obviously, I'm very much interested in that. Given much many of the, the games that I watch, um, it seems like a logical next step for me. Instead of looking forward to the new site being launched, so that we can um, play in a more modern environment. Um, so they play on an old dormant site. Um, but 200 of us that were playing, I did not finish 200, but I was close. <laughs> well, it's um, it's interesting. Um, the, the old site I was looking at it um, today. I, I must admit, I'd never played on it. I, I always thought, oh, I probably don't know enough uh, about it to, to to know my way around it, um, uh, and so on and so forth. But um, the point scoring is very much down to 
um, batting statistics and moving the point runner, which of course, obviously, is the main focus in Pespolo in terms of uh, how statistics are gathered. Um, but you you don't get a sense, for example, like in in our fantasy baseball, um, of how good pitchers are, or in Pespolo, how good the the defense itself is how do you measure um that kind of success uh, do you think that's that's missing at the moment miko from the statistics it's totally missing and that's just due to the point that once this once this system was established and this is something that i've also mentioned in the previous podcast uh, this whole system this statistics system was established in 1991 and it hasn't been changed ever since so it's like we know that in in this time and age it it's like it's it's the eighth miracle of uh, of the modern age of of the world history that some kind of a statistic system in any kind of like technology has sustained time for 30 years and that's like that's also it's it's also a miracle and it's a huge shame that it hasn't been changed but it's like uh, the thing is that like around 10 years ago once again when i was in helsinki this one player in our team he came up to me and said that okay uh do you know that we can also get this kind of data out of this system and he just showed it me showed it to me on on the laptop that okay you can gather this kind of statistics and this kind of statistic that were not able to nobody could use them like nobody knew how to dig them from the database so so i was like i was like yeah i mean if we can use that can we make a fantasy game and he was kind of a uh, he was working for Nokia and like doing. Uh, he was a, a controller, so he was like attached with uh, stock-related things and money-related things. So he made the game out of it. It's based on like stock market, basically. So that if somebody buys Yuhaniemi, that affected his value. That that was a way for our team in Ukkospesis to raise money to to like get through the season but nobody has touched it in in 10 years or so and actually i i was just talking like a month ago with the he's still a friend of mine the creator of the of the game uh who technically put it together and he said that okay he still runs the updates but it's just one one old computer in the like the basement of a like a house in Helsinki that still runs the whole damn thing. But uh, now that we're going to the new system in 2022, I haven't been, I haven't played any part in uh, developing it. Uh, but it has, just like Ian said, it has been announced that it's coming. But uh, creating a system that would balance out the efforts of the outfield team and the and the batting team that is a that is a key that that's obviously a key that we we need to 
we need that kind of a thing also for the uh, not just for the fantasy but also for the like for bringing bringing up the players in in a, in a positive sense so that it's not just the inner circle the closest circle possible who know who know which pitches are at which level so that's the key and i i was looking at parallels with um statistics in baseball um because ron you you'll know as well um they've they've really cornered the market in statistics in in sport at the moment you can get statistics on almost anything in baseball these days um when i started watching baseball defensive statistics weren't really there pitching was pitching's been there for for a long time but the the dynamic between pitching in in baseball and pespalo is very different um but defensively it was sort of lacking but you've you've seen that in, improve over the years. Um, where do you think Pespalo can learn from those kind of statistics uh, in baseball? Um, so a lot, but I think um, it's really about what you value, right? Like Americans just love. I was sitting, I was sitting at a you know Pespalo game now, a year and a half ago, and they were like, "Ron, we just don't care about the numbers the way you all do." <laughs> it's like that's fair that's fair it's like yeah we don't we just don't care that much (laughs) so it's like okay um and so i think you just got to figure out like like miko said actually realizing teams can use this data to get an advantage and if you can if you can once the teams figure out what the advantages are and you have obviously more nerds like us who watch this stuff maybe we see it too you know that's going to create the stats that are most valuable. Um, I do think you could totally have things like, I mean, really basic rudimentary stats, like every time a defender saves the ball from, you know, like, well, in Philly, it's, you know, from the, from, the, from, the, from the river. But in general, like, you know, those stops they make to keep balls from going, you know, far outside of the outfield or, you know, like, so like runs saved or, I mean, I think you could think of lots of different stats off the top of your head that, you know, for a casual watcher that obviously pitchers, things that they're able to do, you know, like how many, you know, obviously like how many point runners advance while they're pitching, you know, like average runners on base kind of thing, you know, for basemen, you could have different statistics Um, for outfits. You have different statistics. I think actually in some ways, because of the way the finish game works, you know, again, for the people at home, every batter gets to use all their strikes. Um, There are probably more, more, there's more data you could, you could mine from this game. Not more than baseball, but kind of because there's so many different things that are happening in the game, in the field at different times that make it, uh, that make it again, data that you would want to use. I would want to know, you know, like I'm just using him because I'm thinking of him, not because it's like, obviously he's old, but like, you know, I would want to know when Tony Cajonan plays third base or second base. Like I want to know, like, you know, how many times runners advance or if he's throwing the ball away, errors he makes, like errors are easy defensive stat. And paces that we could keep, right? Like Aaron Balls, he's not doing that often. Tony, don't come after me. But, but I mean, I'd still want to know things like that. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for 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 that kind of growth. And I think we'll see it. Like I think that your technology's made you know since 20 years ago, it's a lot easier to keep this data. It's a lot easier to track this information. And so I think that we'll see some cool stuff as a result. So I'm looking forward to figuring out what we get, and for us nerds sitting down figuring out new stats to invent. Same metrics for Pace Apollo. It's forthcoming. 
Well, it's interesting, um, Ron, what you say um, about some of the statistics uh, it, defensively, because one of the things I, I put together was um, a, a spreadsheet recently um, using the data that we already have in games and trying to work out who was the most efficient pitchers or, or fielding um, teams how many runs on average they'd give away in a game, and how consistent uh, those pitchers were. Basically, you know, how often were they giving up that same number of runs, or whether it was so wild and so varied. Um, Miko, I, I sent you both the the spreadsheet to to look at, and uh, your comment was it was on another level, <laughs> which I, I I I took to be a good thing. Uh, but what, what what did you think about that? It's definitely on another level because the way the way I look at it and uh, the way that we discussed with this uh, this whole thing with the uh, with my friends who are like who either are or have been the game managers at the highest level of the game is that the the one thing that has been like over the over the history of Pesapalla has been that uh, okay the top coaches they have made their own uh, remarks of the game uh, to notebooks or nowadays to their like computers and so on but uh, but I only know just just a couple of people within the game who would put in the effort to put the, put put those remarks in some measurable like statistics and try to create some kind of a ra- rating for example for for a pitcher and i i still don't know i mean uh, true to be told i still don't know if it's actually possible to do that due to the nature of the sport but i still think that we we should at least try that we talked about that the technology will be here it actually is here it's like we we can measure things much more than uh, we think we can and it's like after that it is up to what what level of statistics do we see sufficient and what what is actually something that the, the Finnish people in this case will buy so to say because it's like uh, I, I think the baseball is a good example because that's the for me that's the pinnacle of statistics in sports it's like it does, it does like uh, my my idea of baseball statistics is is the meme of where where Nate from uh, three five eight is like all over the wall with the different like papers and who's like when there was an election that guy was uh, like probably awake for more than a hundred hours just going through the stats of the election and I know that he's also an avid like baseball. A fantasy player and i i know that my like with my concentration i'm not gonna be able to hold on to a whole 162 game uh, regular season playing playing that i i mean for me it's more like uh, 
Uh, I play NFL fantasy. So it's like 16 games in a regular season, and that's like, yeah, that's good good for me. <laughs> but uh, but to the actual topic, I, I think that um, we need to make uh, significant steps towards not just rating players, but to be able to find the statistics that are actually related to the performance of not just the player, but the whole team. Because in your spreadsheet, there were some uh, some individual points that I, I, I had to sit down and, and just uh, go through it with like actual thought that what what is this? Can we actually use this? Would this be something that I would have paid attention to as a game manager? And I think that spreadsheet actually, um, it gave me a lot of ideas. And uh, and it's like, I, I would I would also love to show it to uh, the the Finnish Pesapalo community at some point. So so at least like. Uh, because I know that the uh, the people who are uh, within the sport, they are uh, there's just like in any other sport, they are they are people who are uh, with it within the game for different reasons, and they are different personalities, and they have different interests, and there's like the, there's always a certain segment. Of of these like uh, what we openly call like nerds in Finland in, in terms of uh, data and numbers and and these these kind of things that I absolutely love to like to to for example the podcast <clears throat> that I listen to are, are the kind of podcasts where you have where you have like actual good analysis all the people who are, for example, uh, current or former scouts of that professional sports or coaches or something like that. I'm not interested in some rambling of, of like former players and stuff like that. But but when we get when we sit down and when we, when they start to talk business about like the, the tactics and anal- analytics of the game, that's that's when you got me, like uh, so. So I think that um, I think that it's it's something that if we take a look at it, uh, like five years from now, uh, we will see that there is something similar. But I haven't seen something like that yet. So it's definitely a compliment. <laughs> well, it's interesting you mentioned um, the NFL. Uh, there as well because one of the one of the um, theories I was using was thinking back to conversations we've had we've we've had with some of our guests previously about how the role of the pitcher is very similar to the role of a quarterback in American football in terms of the decision making and things like that so I I decided to make a rating system to see how efficient the pitchers were at getting outs you know how many um 
how many runners were getting on base or um, how many batters they were facing, uh, runs scored and so on and so forth, uh, against how many outs they were getting. So how efficient were they at getting those outs? And, you know, okay, it's it's difficult to, to pin down and say that that was down to the pitcher. But if they're marshalling the defence in the same way that a, a quarterback does, okay, um, you know, a, a quarterback rating is based on interceptions, which, of course, uh, in, in American football, the defence play a big part in, in those interceptions as well. Uh, completed passes, well, the, the receivers could be, um, you know, bumbling the ball, it could just slip out of their hands. There could be some kind of defensive play that uh, covered the man, et cetera, et cetera. So um, th- there's a lot of factors that play into those quarterback ratings. So there's a lot of flaws as well. And I was thinking, well, if if I was going to use that same idea, it might translate. It might not. But hey, I had a few hours on my hand. <laughs> I decided to do it. There's no live games at the moment, so I might as well do something. Yeah, I mean, just a couple of things that struck me was the idea. Well, first of all, the idea of the rating is like it's. I'm not gonna go through the whole spreadsheet because the the listeners can cannot see that yet. But but it's like creating a rating is a fascinating thought, but. But then the the one thing is that that I would like love to see like statistics is that how what's what's the rating for like uh, the ratings for when there are no runners on base what's what's the rating of their like how much do they use the like the high pitch and the tolpa and what what's the percentage there. Uh, and when there are runners on base, how much like vara they use? So it's and uh, and then now that we have also the data of the most significant individual thing of each scenario where there are runners on base, which is the time that the runner spends from going from one base to another. That's like for each and every Superposis team that has paid for the license now has that data on their use. And that's like uh, a a friend of mine who who was the team, the game manager when Jonso Maila won their first championship uh, uh, back in 2018. he and other other people way before him have always always emphasized that the the essence of a Pesapolo game is to try to win the base for the the gap between the two bases as quick as possible that's the essence so so that leads up to a statistic for like uh, that I would love also would love to see being developed is that the pitchers would also be evaluated for what kind of a runner they are up against. 
because it's 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 a lot different if you have uh, for example if you have uh, Johanniemi on on first base and uh, there there's no vara has hasn't been used yet so if if in that case if they have to if the batting team have to try to get him to second base the odds are like always in favor of the pitcher but if you have used your vara and you have somebody like uh, Mikko Kanala or, or some other like super fast guy on the first base that should also add up so that you would get like your rating would go way higher if you could make an out in those circumstances and you could also obviously you should have individual ratings for the outfield players too and that's something that is being developed to the next version of statistics but but yeah let's see let's see where it goes but uh, i think the direction is definitely right well it'll be interesting to see um certainly when the new website comes out uh, what the statistics will look like um certainly be more than than what we've had so i'm i'm excited to see that um until then i'll just keep building spreadsheets i suppose um but there we are so we'll we'll take a break uh here and when we come back we'll be uh, talking tactics in uh first of our segments we're going to call a coach's corner uh, and Miko's going to take us through some uh basic batting tactics Okay, so um, welcome back. Um, we're going to start uh, a more regular feature, I suppose, looking a, a bit more at some of the basic tactics to help um, some of our international listeners uh, get a bit more used to the, the mindset of the game, try and understand it in a bit more depth than simply just watching it unfold in front of you. Um, so here we are. It's uh, Coach's Corner. I haven't done a jingle or anything uh, silly like that. Um, but Miko, uh, batting tactics, it, it's not just as simple as hitting the ball and seeing where it goes. Well, if we start and we should start from the principles and stick to those, it's like um, the roles within the batting order, the batting lineup play play a huge role so the so the teams put up the players in in a way that since they are numbered from one to nine and then you can use three chokers so you can use them as like designated hitters but they don't take anybody's place in the lineup so you can uh you always need to uh your, your players will obviously always hit in that specific order and the roles are the, the first you put up the like the fast runners to to play w- with the numbers one two three these days all, all of those have to be fast these days and then you have the heavy hitters following those and then you can add to that 
with the like uh, with the chokers. So you can have two heavy hitters or and and one fast runner, or two fast runners and one heavy hitter. Those are the most common combinations. But the the key to batting tactics is to always to understand that uh, because of the vertical pitch, uh, the the contact to the ball can actually be easily made in with very little practice each and every time. So so it's like <clears throat> it's uh, it plays a huge role when you when you think about batting tactics because you and add it up with the fact that you can use all three strikes if you want to even if you make contact with the ball you don't have to run you can choose so it's like that yeah yeah i, I was i was going to say it's an interesting parallel because we we've talked about this with ron previously that in in baseball you just don't have that option it's it's kind of a hit and and run um, sport, but in, in cricket, the mindset is, is is sort of very similar. But um, I, I know we talked about this in our our very first bonus episode about the rules. Um, it, it's it's an interesting kind of hybrid when we're talking about these tactics because the batting lineup um, points you just raised are very similar to to what they are in baseball with your fast runners up. Uh, certainly, your your lead off hitter would be the fastest runner. And batting three or four would usually be a, a hard hitter, somebody who um, in America you'd say was batting cleanup to to bring the runners home. Um, but there's a lot more tactical play at, at bat in terms of deciding when to run, when not to run, when um, in Pespola than say in, in baseball, which is why you've, you've just got to go with whatever the result is once you've hit the ball. Yeah. Yeah, that's like you. You can make some comparisons with the with those uh, with those sports, but uh, the way that I approach it is that the key to using the batting tactics in an efficient way is also to play like con- control the game. Uh, as the batting team, so that once once you can make the contact to the ball, and that's not an issue, and you can, so it gives you the opportunity to control the game and decide when it's actually good for your team to attack and when it's not. So whereas in the, especially in baseball, you you just Okay, you attack when you hit the ball. It's like simple as that, basically. I mean, you can add talk around it and you can talk about different things, but that's what it comes down to in, in, from my point of view. But in, in, in Pesapalo, you, you can and you need to think about the, the odds that you have in each scenario in your hands. And... The, the um, and at this point the like at this point the game manager comes in strongly because the only the the only comparison that can be made that I know 
of a, within sports is that of a signal caller in in once again in NFL. So it's like the head coach or the uh, like the head coordinator, offense coordinator or something like that. So it's like uh, <clears throat> as a game manager, you have to take responsibility of what what will we do in each scenario. I mean, there are some super fast situations. For example, numbers one and two, if they are, uh, especially if they are, uh, if they have experience at that level where they are playing, they can play in a way that that they use their like they use their own signal system between them, so they can just uh, they can just agree that. Once again, the listeners cannot see, but it's like uh, <clears throat> so. I so I will describe it. That, uh, for example, the number numbers one and two can can make an agreement that okay today, that when you reach first base, when the number one reaches first base and the number two comes to uh, comes to bat. Uh, the situation can go super fast. Let's say that the number one walks to first base. The the pitcher just throws the ball to first base and they throw it back. And then then he has the permission to pitch. And that can all happen in just a couple of seconds. So you have no time to go through a, uh, like a more complicated signal system that would also include the... Uh, the head coach, the the game manager. So those two players can, for example, they can have their own signal system that if I have two hands at bat, okay, today, if I show up uh, the fingers of my, like, the lower hand, then you go straight from the pitch. But if I open up my upper hand at bat, then you, then you listen if it's a vara or not. And if I use both, if I open up both of my hands, you don't go anywhere. So it's like uh, you can make those kind of small individual signals. But when when you get the runner to say uh, second base, and from that point on, the game manager always has to make the call that is this a good scenario for us to to attack or not. And of course, a lot of those situations are plain and simple that yes, we have our best players in the best possible places. Yes, this is now we need to attack. But also sometimes you come to come to the conclusion that no, at this point, it doesn't make any sense because it the odds are against us. And and once again, I'm using an like a comparison or an analogy from from the American football because uh, the the one thing that always makes people wonder when they see Pesapalo game played for the first time is the de- deliberate fly ball that you hit the ball high up in the air and the players get to go to the next place. Uh, next base, they are safe there. They 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 are called being wounded, so they are not out, but they are not also they are not able to progress to the next base, so they are taken away from the base. And that 
that may sound stupid, but the the analogy that I would make and I have made before and I will make in the future is that it, it's it's the same as punting in American football. So you are in a situation where you're like you have your fourth down and say you're four or five yards away from from getting uh, new downs, new set of downs. So depending on the like depending on the score and depending on which uh, like uh, what what quarter are you in and it's like all of that taking into consideration all of that you make the call as a coach that do we attack or do we not and just like in that scenario you can still fake this is this is a game of fakes. I mean, this is a this is a game where you can do all kinds of tricks and gimmicks and uh, try to win individual uh, situations like that. Oh, okay, the basic structure is where you start from, but uh, this is a complicated like game from also from the betting uh, perspective. It, it's an interesting. Um point you make about the the kind of uh deciding when to uh you know clear slower runners off the base or or, or go for it and, and try and advance runners and having watched the game for a number of years now you, I, I start looking at the lineup and going oh i so and so's coming into bat next you know They'll want to clear the bases and, and get rid of the slow runners, so they'll they'll probably send it high, and the outfielder's going to drop it because say you know that your hard hitters at, at bat and and they're one of the slowest people on the team, so you know that it's going to go high. You know they're going to drop it. Uh, sometimes they surprise you, and um, I, I yeah, you, you start to pick up the, these little tactics. But it, it was really interesting you mentioned about the the kind of signals that go between um batter number one and number two and i hadn't i hadn't picked up on that um before watching games so it's something i'm definitely going to watch out for um going forward it's, it sounds really interesting yes and 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 teams obviously look for those too and they know they all about that system but that's like that that's also one thing that the players have to be able to adapt to so that you can, for example, you can change those, those signals between each game. So it's like, it doesn't, then it doesn't matter. Even no matter how much tape you go through, it doesn't matter. But it's like, <clears throat> also like uh, you can, you can make another comparison about those situations where uh, if you, if you actually want to attack or if it's if you have better options than to attack would be like just like in european football that uh, if if there's just a lone player who's going up against three opposition players uh, and there's nobody in attack to support that lone person it's like the odds are so firmly stacked against that player 
that it's normally better to just turn around and drop the ball to somebody and keep the ball, like keep possession of the ball and keep control of the game instead of trying to do something that is against the odds. And But in those games and also in Pesapalo, the player has also, they have to have the ability to recognize the situation and and uh, especially the older players, they are like, uh, of course, they have played this game true and true and hundreds in games and they know the right thing and so on, so on. So it's like uh, <clears throat> uh, they they come up with the solution and then they just uh, uh, have a quick word with the game manager that, okay, we, are we going to do this? And they so they... They kind of know, but uh, but also the game manager always has or, or should have the final word, so so to say. I mean, uh, if you have guys like uh, uh, if you have like uh, Tony Kohonen in your team, uh, like who who always knows how to like preserve the structure of the uh, of their team so so it's like normally the solutions that he would uh, give in those kinds of scenarios they remind me of something that for example Tom Brady would do in NFL so not nothing Hollywood nothing like fancy or too like some flashy like that but he would be all about like Avoiding the out, just live all the time. I'm using like NFL anecdotes, but live to see another down. So it's like, so it's because it's also one part of this game that the longer you can sustain uh, your inning at bat, the the more you preserve energy because the other team has to do all the work on the outfield moving from one place to another and so so it's like uh, there's there's many things that affect this and another interesting uh, dynamic for um, batters to think about is where the runners are on base so what what the different situations and scenarios are so you know if you if you don't have a runner on first or second but you do on third um you've got a little bit more leeway with your own at bat uh, and that that runner that on third isn't so pressured um, at that point. Um, what what do you think uh, some of the more difficult scenarios are uh, for batting tactics? Well, I think that one, the one thing that has raised it its head a lot over the past couple of de- decades or so, or let's say the last thirty years or so. Has has been the situation where the where the outfield team has forced the roles to mix up in the in the in the batting lineup in the batting order that so that you don't necessarily get all your fastest runners on base when your heavy hitters are coming up and 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 so on so it's like and and now the the outfield outfield tactics have gone through a big transformation. Uh, over the past three years, so it's it's all still relatively new. That now they're 
uh, approaching each and each and every individual situation so that they take they take time on the outfield to put the players in the best possible situation and position so it's uh, this game is living now a lot so we're we're on crucial stages but the okay the hardest hardest thing is still after all this talk is getting the getting the runner home safe from third base it's like when we take a look at the uh, like the success rate the percentages it's like it, it drops down so much the best uh, the be- the best guys can get from home base to first base at something like 80% and that goes to like taking the point runner from the first base to second and from second base to third but when we come down to get actually getting the point runner from uh, third base to home base uh, it's rare to see that somebody goes through a whole season uh, with the percentage of higher than 60% and that is ridiculously high we're we're talking that 40 is a good percentage so that's the that, that's the most difficult situation sure um looking at my statistics spreadsheet that I was talking about earlier um the way I actually broke down um success rates at different bases you, you see a, a the the hardest and of course it's going to be the hardest um is from from third to home um Yuha Putimaki last year um allowed only 44% of runners from third uh, to successfully then make it home um one of the easier transitions that, that um I've noted is from from second base to third base is that something that batters often have a lot of flexibility in terms of tactics? They do. That's the that's that's the easiest one because the the, the good runners they I mean they get the starts that they get from the second base. They steal so much to begin with. They're, they're so advanced with those skills, like uh, playmaking skills, reading the game, and uh, the the pitcher has to have a really good throwing arm because we have to remember that the pitcher is not located on the middle of the field, but the home base is actually it's physically quite far. It's like 40 meters, 40 yards away from second base uh, and third base. So you can steal a lot from second base. And if the, like, let's say that the, 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 once again, the point runner is one of the faster faster runners of the game. It's uh, if the if the batter is able to like make any kind of a good contact to the ball that is not caught up straight from the air and it's not a foul ball. Uh, the the odds are at at that point it's like it's nearly impossible to make an out from that scenario anymore. It's that it's that difficult. But but yeah, I mean uh, it's it, it's interesting to take a look at these because uh, there's there's a lot of 
things that, that that make you think that, for example, Botemaki played. He he is a good player in those situations. Obviously, in each in every situation, but he's also been a part of uh, developing that. Uh, like the revolutionary outfield system that has especially uh, played to like raised Joensuun Maila as an outfield team, their profile over the last three years. So that that explains some of it. That's great, Mikko. Thank you very much uh, for that little insight into some of the batting tactics. And I'm sure um, as the podcast goes on through the year, um, we'll come uh, back to uh, Coach's Corner and have some more uh, really good insights there. Um, certainly some thoughts for me to start watching when the season starts again. I'll be looking out for some of those uh, signals definitely between the first and second uh, players in the batting lineup. Uh, and that will just about do it uh, for this episode of the podcast. I want to uh, thank my uh, co-hosts for joining me. Um, Miko, thanks for coming. Thank you. It was a pleasure as always. And of course, my other co-host, Ron Bronson. Great to be with you boys as always. I'm not waking up early for anybody else. Uh, look forward to our, our uh, belated first anniversary uh, birthday cake uh, drink in the, in the future. This year. And that just leaves it with me, uh, your host, Ian Alba. Thank you very much for uh, being with us. If you want to know more, um, then please visit my blog, which is uh, superpessisroundup.blogspot.com. Uh, please like, subscribe, uh, or leave a comment uh, about this podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at superpessisr. But until next time, we'll see you soon. That's hidden far away